The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... What's up, everybody? This is Zach Catanzaro, and welcome to part two of our episode with Tender Things. Uh, last week, we heard the confession that inspired Tender Things' song, One Like You. It was a wild one. If you haven't heard it yet, definitely go back and check that out. This week, you're going to hear Walker's Confession with Jesse Eba, lead songwriter and founder of Tender Things. Uh, they're going to talk about all kinds of stuff from self-care to touring to longevity in the music industry um, and a whole lot more. So check it out. Interview. 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 Uh, who am I speaking with here? This is Jesse Ebal. Jesse, what's the name of your, your band? I have a band called The Tender Things. Uh, you and I are part of a club. The club is called Smokers and Miscreants. The Smokers and Miscreants Running Club. Can you uh, can you tell me a little bit about the history of this? Because you actually, I, you were one of the founding members, is my understanding. Well, yeah, the three founding members were Topaz McGarrigal, myself, and his dog, Simone. And Simone, bless her, is still with us in our hearts. Mm. Uh, but now she's resting in Topaz's backyard. That was, uh, a, lo- that was a lovely lovely dog she was a sweetheart um uh so yeah topaz and i started running oh my gosh seven or eight years ago or something like that a long long time ago um and right when i was first trying to start getting healthy i think i was getting sober at the time too yeah like i think it was kind of all part of that thing i was at the end of my tenure in heartless bastards you and know? you played bass for Heartless Bastards. Yeah, I, Erica and I have known each other for a long time, and I played bass in the band for a decade or a little bit more. Um, we're still great friends, but it just sort of came time for me to make some decisions about my life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the band needed a break. band kind of went on hiatus, and as that was happening, I started changing. So... Topaz and I started thinking about our health, you know, middle-aged boys that we are. Um, And then, you know, it went well for a year or maybe a season or something like that. And then we dropped it. But then pandemic came back around. And as we were starved for human contact other than our significant others that we were locked in the houses with, uh, the Run Club became this incredible sort of jewel uh, in the week, you know, when you were outside, you knew you were safe, but you got to talk to somebody that wasn't yourself or the wall or your partner mm-hmm. who did not want to hear another word from you <laughs> anyway or whatever. Cause when you were locked in the house, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so it was nice. And then uh, when did you join? Did you join when you, Topaz has that band Golden Dawn Orchestra. And yeah. Is that how you met? So I started running, uh, independent of, uh, independent i was i had already started working on the golden dawn record with Mm -hmm. him and then uh i was running he knew i was running because i start i I started running during the pandemic because i had such crazy ptsd after that winter storm and you had your studio destroyed yeah my studio was destroyed which i heard about on the radio yeah (laughs) (laughs) my studio was destroyed and i was out of I, i was staying my house lost power i was staying in a house that 
didn't have central heating, so we literally were just stoking a fire oh my gosh. for 72 hours, oh which it could have been way worse, but it just, I think, with everything that had led up to that uh, in the pandemic year, yeah. it just kind of broke me. So I started exercising, and I, and I Topaz is like, you should come run. It's all musicians. Yep. And basically all ex smokers, all ex smokers, <laughs> which I love. And I, and I was still kind of smoking at the time. Um, which smoking after a run, honestly, is fucking fantastic. But, oh, but smoking after everything <laughs> is fantastic. <laughs> but I don't smoke Don't anymore. tell the kids. Yeah. But so, so, so basically, Toby says, yeah, it's all musicians, in which I think is loosely still true. Yeah. And basically, you know, it's an excuse to do something together that doesn't involve booze yeah or nightclubs or being out late yeah and i think that that's that's such a great sentiment and for for a club yeah it's such a valuable space to meet your friends in too especially people that you know you're so used to being a night person but Mm -hmm. to meet them all at eight or nine o'clock in the morning with a clear head um you just engage emotionally with one another in a very different way it's much quicker to get to deeper subjects Mm -hmm. you know and 10 minutes into the run you're exhausted already and so you're like you're not thinking about your the pretenses that you're usually holding on to to like guard your personality or whatever all you know all the walls come down our friend our friend sarah hauser who runs with us uh she was absent for a couple weeks and she came back and about three miles into our four mile run she goes god i forgot how great it feels to talk shit with you guys at the beginning of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, the jewel in the run club crown is, uh, when it comes to uh, gossip, is uh, having Kevin Curtin be a member. Oh yeah, if you guys don't know, Kevin Curtin is the uh, former music editor of the Austin Chronicle, still a writer for the Chronicle, and very much in the know. Oh yes, he's got his <laughs> finger on the pulse of what's going down at all moments. Yeah. I feel like the the guy in this confession... The guy who gave the confession could absolutely be a member of Smokers and Miscreants Running Club. Yeah, absolutely. From my remembrance of the confession, um, he definitely was confessing at a moment after he had emerged from one of those darker phases in his life. Yes, that's so true. He was out of that phase. That's a survival story. Yes, it is a survival story. He also, um, his sense of humor was... Not for the average person, right? I think, which is another uh, Keith. He had a, he had a very dark sense of humor. He did, yeah. And my favorite part of him is he had no remorse. None. <laughs> <laughs> he like it sounded like a musician to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he sounded like someone who picked up uh, healthy habits later on, the hard way, the hard way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone the other day said said something to me that I thought was really true, which is. If you exercise a lot and you're in your like teens and twenties, it's a personality characteristic. You're like, yeah. oh, that guy exercises a lot. It's, he's he's very fit. Uh. And if you don't exercise in your late thirties and forties and fifties, that is a personality characteristic. You're like, well, you know, he doesn't exercise. Right. They he they've made the decision. <laughs> yeah. To go ahead and just let it slide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's absolutely true. That's funny. I've never heard that. But. What's what's the name of the song that you wrote for us? One like you. What is what does that mean? What does the chorus mean? Well, the chorus 
The course is about the course is about the kind of person who is so singularly unique that when they are cremated, um, their remains are sort of beset by their friends, collected and sort of stashed away like treasures or like carried away in some unorthodox way. You know, when grandma or grandpa gets cremated and put into an urn, it's unlikely that the family members are all going <coughs> to come try to claim some little piece of it and carry it off and stash it somewhere untold <coughs> or unusual, mm-hmm. you know. But there are these certain sorts of characters that we all know in our lives whose effect on their community is so profound that they are definitely those sorts of people. And yeah. that's what really resonated with me the most about this man's confession mm-hmm. and the discovery of a small box of ash human remains, um, because it touched on my own experience with ash and human remains <laughs> <laughs> and unique personalities. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so be more. T- tell tell us this story. What what you connected with about it so what i connected with about it was um you know i play sort of uh hippie headneck country and western cosmic cowboy music i've always sort of been uh interested in that sort of you know that outsider country thing and uh i think maybe one of the only real cosmic cowboys i've ever met in my entire life is a guy named boyd elder who was not a musician but an artist a visual artist who lived in valentine texas for most of his life and what 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 made him a cosmic cowboy in your eyes because because there might be people listening who have no idea what that term is what the term is okay well without giving the history of the term what about boyd made him a a cosmic cowboy. Well, Boyd was very much a Texan. He okay. was a native Texan who rattled around in the sort of greater El Paso, Big Bend era area for most of his life, save for a long period um, of time spent in Los Angeles mm. in the Laurel Canyon scene. Like Joni Mitchell was a girlfriend of his. He was a, wow, Boyd. a, what a flex. pretty renowned fella. And he had an art show. Uh, well, you know, in the, I can't remember what year, but he had an art show, late '60s, early '70s, and the band that did their first show at Boyd's opening became the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> and so all those, the Eagles covers with the the painted cow skulls on the uh-huh. on the covers, uh, those are all Boyd's. Wow, I hope he got residuals from that. He did not. God, no, because that is everywhere. I think he sold those images outright. That's I think that's what I've been told. Very, okay, but uh, you know, Boyd lived in Valentine, Texas, for the years that I lived in Texas, and was going to Marfa and hanging out with Liz Lambert and all the weirdos and ranchers and stuff that she knows out there. And she, knowing all the notable people, of course, was friends with Boyd, and so Boyd was always around. And I think I was always a little too quiet. Boyd probably never knew my name. I, I had some conversations with him, but he and I weren't. Close, but I did follow him around, and I eavesdropped on him relentlessly. Uh, he was an incredible character. Uh, the one time I spoke to him outright, I'd heard through the grapevine that he knew Bobby Fuller. So Bobby Fuller is the singer guitar player from El Paso, who claimed that he was gonna knock the Beatles out of the American pop charts with his tunes. He's the guy that wrote and sang I Fought the Law. 
Okay. Um, well, I'm not sure if he wrote it, but he certainly had a hit with it. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Fuller died under mysterious circumstances in L.A. He was found locked in his car, died of asphyxiation. He was soaked in gasoline. So you think the Beatles murked him, is what that you're saying? That could be. <laughs> so <laughs> Somebody murdered him, that's for sure. And Boyd claimed to know who. Wow. But he wouldn't say. Okay, so so you okay, so Boyd is obviously an insane character. Just like this Boyd he's Elder. a myth. It, yeah. You know. And they called him El Chingadero, which means the bullshitter. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I want that nickname one day. Uh, it's so cool. <laughs> so so what so he died. He died. And Yeah, he got old, died of natural causes, and uh there was a wake for him here in Austin at uh at Justine's, the French restaurant. And uh, it was a wonderful affair. Joe Ely played. Mm-hmm. And we all hung out and drank wine. And everybody told all the Boyd Elder stories that they knew. But um, his ashes were laid out on an altar. And there came a point when I was hanging out with my friends Isadora and Evan and Topaz. Mm-hmm. And they all decided they'd knock a little bit of him out on the tabletop and snort him up. Thinking that, you know, Boyd was pretty notorious for taking more substances than any man ever has in life ever. You know, Mm -hmm. that's part of the sort of uh, psychedelic ranger that he was, Um, you know, and they all they all just felt that to have Boyd become a part of them was a very natural step. And my own confession is I wanted to do it, too, but I was too chicken for some reason i stood there with them i watched them do it and laughed with them about it but i was unable to lean over and breathe him in like maybe i felt like i didn't quite know him well enough Mm -hmm. i know that the people that were doing this did know him a lot better than me Mm -hmm. you know and i felt maybe if i had actually taken that step it would have been a bit of a an untruth or a trespass in some way so you didn't you didn't think necessarily that uh they were gaining his powers it was more that they they were keeping a part of him with, with them. them. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I, get that. I think as a, as a death ritual, that's pretty beautiful. I think it is. It seems also like maybe the only socially acceptable form of cannibalism. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. You know, because the body's been processed by the elements already. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you're processing the flesh of the person in your in your intestines, you know, it's been processed by fire already and all that energy has been released. <laughs> Damn, that's a thought I've just never had before. I, no, yeah. Too funny where conversation goes. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think, uh, I think it's, am- it's amazing that this, I mean, I, we always give, uh, these days we give all the songwriters a couple to choose from and you chose this one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, it's amazing to me. You had even a remotely, analogous experience with human remains like this. It hit me like a ton of bricks when I was listening to the confession, Mm -hmm. you know, just this flood of memory of being at Boyd's wake and this sort of mythical history of El Chingadero of Boyd Elder and Mm -hmm. what a character he was and, and the need to sort of cement his personality into the myth mm-hmm. of the land into the myth of the people, the community out there that, that, you know, Marfa claims to value art and artists, um, you know, and that's an ongoing argument necessarily, yeah. you know, and, uh, but to put 
I mean, Boyd committed his life 100%. Every breath that he drew was for art and adventure. Mm-hmm. And he did nothing but make it and give it away. And, uh, you know, to talk about him and to keep his name in the headlines is the work that we need to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. And and, and that's how you... That's eternal life. That's how people live on. Yeah. <clears throat> is you just don't forget them. Yeah. You know, you remember them. And I mean, it, when you're an artist, you know, you make these relics. And he, the fact that he did the fucking artwork for the best selling greatest hits album of all time. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Nuts. Yeah. That's wild. He's part of the fabric of American popular mm-hmm. culture and will always and forever be, mm-hmm. you know. And he lived this really unusual lifestyle in a really quiet corner, the quietest corner. Yeah. I mean, it's Valentine's quieter than Terlingua. Oh, yeah. You know? I, I'll i be honest with you. I didn't know that anyone lived in Valentine until after I had been to Marfa oh, quite a few times. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to the the Prada store. You know, I'd been out there. I'd yeah. been driven by. I, I literally didn't know that anyone actually lived in that town until I met someone at the Porter's in... Marfa. Who said they lived there? Who said they lived there. Interesting. And they were annoyed at how many people were picnicking in Valentine these days. Really? Which I still, I don't believe there's even a park in Valentine. Like it's, it's tiny, tiny, it's tiny. It's teeny. Yeah. There is an old post office. I wonder if people were like pulling off the mm-hmm. highway and just ducking under the shade of what one yeah. few tree is there just to like picnic on the hood of their car or something. I don't think there's even a picnic table yeah, there. I don't think so there is. Yeah. <clears throat> what's what's the first song you remember like really falling in love with? The first song. Um The first song that I ever learned all of the lyrics to long mm-hmm. before I ever even thought about playing a musical instrument was Leon Russell's Stranger in a Strange Land, the first song off his second solo LP, Leon Russell and the Shelter People. You learned every word. Yeah, there's that great recessive part at the end of the song, um, which is sort of a like a diatribe about you know, not knowing what's going on in the world today, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of as a criticism of the 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 death of the flower power movement and you yeah. know, the failure of the Vietnam War and stuff like that. <laughs> it was pretty heavy. Um, but maybe even before that, there's a Ry Cooter, who's a guitar player, um, instrumental off of his maybe 1980 album mm-hmm. Bop Till You Drop mm-hmm. uh, there's an instrumental slide guitar version of Ike and Tina Turner's I Think It's Gonna Work Out Fine and I can remember playing with Legos on the living room rug and turning to my parents who were there it was like a sat in the evening mm-hmm. and they were on the couch sitting and reading or something and telling my folks that I was gonna grow up and play music with Ry Cooter that's very cool. Yeah. Do you, so that's kind of when you got the bug. That's a, a formative memory for it's you. It's always been there. Yeah. I think yeah. I really got the bug. My parents are hippies and would drag me to all these parties and there were these great parties in mm-hmm. central Pennsylvania um, at 
Joe and Sue Brady's house, and the adults would all bring guitars, mm -hmm. and they'd pass around these little droppers of these little vials of liquid and put these little drops on the backs of their hands and lick them. And then, you know, an hour later, everybody started getting really loose and the instruments had come out. And now looking back, I know they were playing all Grateful Dead songs. Yeah. Um, but they were just these big kitchen jams. And there was a guy there that had a bandolier full of harmonicas. And one year, as I was standing in the kitchen, that guy started feeding me harmonicas that were in the right key. And I'm sure I wasn't really playing them. I think I was probably just breathing through them. But to have the harmonica be in the correct key yeah. for the song that was being sung in the room, I can remember the light and I remember the smile on the people's faces. And the I can remember the spaces in between the teeth of the guy who was leading the jam. He wore a, like no shirt and a black leather biker vest. Mm -hmm. Th that's the beautiful thing about a harmonica is it's if if you know the key... It's like when a song is all the white keys on a piano. You yes. just can't go wrong. Yeah. And it's a great feeling as a musician, especially when you're younger and you're fumbling through it. It's just every note sounds good. Yep. Yeah. What an entry point. So from from there, I mean, uh, we don't I don't want to go through your entire career, but you were in Heartless Bastards for 20 years? 10. 10. Okay, so, 10. well like, you know, Erica and I met in Cincinnati, Ohio, mm -hmm. and I had a band, sort of a blues rock band at the time called Pearlene. Mm -hmm. um, and Erica approached me and the other guys in Pearlene and asked if we would help her record some demos. Mm -hmm. uh, so we helped her with her very first demos. And on the, I think on the backs of those demos, they, those demos got carried off into the world and uh, were heard by Matthew at Fat Possum, mm -hmm. who then asked her to re-record this, that, and the other and make her first album. So I feel yeah. like I was a founding member just by circumstance. You know, I didn't put right. forth the work in the early days, but I was there, ground zero, when, mm -hmm. when she was just getting it going. Yeah. Um, and then 10 years later, when she moved to Austin and needed a new band, I needed to get out of Cincinnati and yeah. I came down here and joined her again. And, is there, were you, did you continue to write your own songs throughout your tenure in that band? Have you always written your own songs? I've never been a writer. So, so, so what, what was that? Cause I know you left the band and you started working on your own tunes. What was that in you that made you, can you describe that feeling? I that was, urge? yes, absolutely. Because, you know, I kind of, I don't know if. It might be lazy to blame drinking and drugs for not taking action. But as I look back, you know, that little voice inside your head that tells you that you're not good enough, that, you know, there's plenty of great artists and musicians and engineers in the world, and they're all going to do a better job than you ever could. And mm -hmm. so just go ahead and drink seven or eight beers and watch that baseball game because you're never going to be the next yeah, yeah. Bob Dylan you know, Bob Dylan's already been done. You know, you're not special. You're just like all the rest. Just go ahead and, yep. and fuck off. So, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But, um, no, I think it was perfectly well said. <laughs> no, continue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can remember just being shy and the voice in my head that tells you you're not good enough was so loud when I was drinking and getting high mm -hmm. that I just never tried. And when... The Heartless Bastards went on break and I started getting sober, that voice started getting quieter. And then after I'd been clean for six months, my mind brightened up in such a way that I was just bored. And 
Honestly, and like the voice that was telling me that I wasn't good enough was so small. Like it doesn't matter if I'm not the most brilliant writer in the world. Who cares? What I want to do is just do it. Yeah. You know, and finally that voice got loud enough in relation to in relationship to the voice that says no. You know? Yeah. So that's the most valuable thing that I really found in getting sober. Yeah. You know, was that the positive vibes can exist, mm-hmm. you know, the negative stuff just sort of shriveled up and blew away on the wind. You just create more. <clears throat> it's, I think what you're, what my experience of what you're describing is when you're punishing your body all the time, that voice is very loud. Yeah. And when you're kinder to your body, it, it just has an effect on your mental state. Yeah. And, and, and I've also had that experience of the negative voice just gets quieter there's more room for that positivity. Yeah. So I'm curious because because now you just put out your third record, mm-hmm. third full length record, uh, Texas Touch. That Texas. That Touch. Texas Touch. Yeah. 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 As a writer, as, as someone who's working on songs, and, and just go for it here. What what's what what are you what are you trying to add to this great? history of song you know the great history because you know the canon we've talked about bobby fuller we talked about the eagles you know you're familiar with the canon where where do you fit in it how do you see your writing you know it's funny i sort of see it as fitting and not fitting Mm -hmm. at the same time like you know i've always sort of admired the history i really like folk music i like being involved in folk traditions living in greater cincinnati Mm -hmm. uh I lived in Northern Kentucky and played bluegrass music the whole time I was there because there's this great tradition of that Appalachian music in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is one of the cities that the mountain folk went to with that folk form. And it's really vibrant there and mm. like, and it's very much alive. And yeah. so that was really exciting to me and I got involved in it. And then I came to Austin here and I started learning about the history of the sort of cosmic cowboy band, the hippie cowboy thing that happened in Austin. And to name some artists, just for people who don't know, we're talking about Willie. Willie. We're talking about Commander Cody. Yep, we're and the Lost Planet Airmen. We're talking about, I guess you could include Waylon in this. Peripherally, for Peripherally. sure. Um, um, there's all these great rock bands too, like Shiva's Headband. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one that I really like that never quite even made an album called The Conqueroo, mm-hmm. um, who... You know, they were one of those groups that drifted off to uh, California with yeah. with the 13th Floor Elevators in 1969. But but know. we could even also include, like, uh, Willis Allen Ramsey. Willis Allen Ramsey is huge. Uh, Michael Murphy to some, other yep. people at Tupop. He's the guy that in, that coined the term Cosmic Cowboy, Oh, is right? he? I think so. I think it was a Michael Martin Murphy song. Really? Yeah. Uh, so basically, I think a crude way of thinking about it is that these are the... the this is where the rednecks and the hippies found a home. Right. right. And a lot of drugs. And so when I landed here, and I'm also intensely interested in Scratch Acid and the Butthole Surfers. I feel yeah. like the Butthole Surfers were the Led Zeppelin of my generation. I'm firmly Gen X. And like, what is the most dangerous band of Generation X? It's the Butthole Surfers. Yeah, totally. Like, hands down. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you might not have survived most of the Butthole Surfers shows you went to. Like, yeah. It's cool. <laughs> and that's folk music. So yeah. I wanted to get involved in in the folk thing that was happening around here. Mm-hmm. I had country music experience through playing so much bluegrass mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a rock and roller. So I made up, I just kind of started making up a band that would fit into that world of headneck, headneck music mm-hmm. uh, here in Austin. 
That's cool. I like that because you kind of came, you came to the same sort of genre uh, conclusion, not because you were a massive fan of that writing and wanted to emulate it right away. It's because the component parts made sense to you. Exactly. Which is so cool. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and we were talking about this the other day on the run like Mm -hmm. you know we were talking about people that bands that like the band you know and sure the band is a great band but don't listen to the band if you love the band you should listen to what the band listened to and all the stuff they worked on yeah yeah like if you like the band and you want to have a band that is as cool as the band don't try to sound like the band yeah You know, yeah. go to the source material that they went to, too, like all the Library of Congress recordings yeah. that, and the Harry Smith collection and et cetera, et cetera, you know, all mm-hmm. that stuff and every bit of rockabilly and, uh, you know. I might put the Harry Smith in the liner notes, the Harry Smith anthology oh. in the liner notes of this episode because it is fantastic. Yes. And and, and also there's that live uh, concert film of contemporary artists playing songs from it oh there's like beck i never saw the film i read about it it. it's cool though i mean it's 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 such a great way into that music i I got into it through the film because it had beck ellis costello and someone else i was obsessed with in college i was like oh i'm gonna watch this and then i got the harry smith anthology killer yeah it's amazing and it's like a graduate course right yeah like there you get to a point in your growth as a musician when you're like okay what made this revolutionary thing in the world which is american music like how did all the component pieces come together Mm -hmm. to make such a beautiful and influential and vital thing for the global human community like i think Mm -hmm. america's greatest and most valid export is music this past century i i think it's the only unimpeachable export that we have well spoken yeah you know because it's love yeah yeah. yeah, it's love and, and, and it brings people together and uh, so much of what we've created is not that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's this special thing that happens in American music. I really love the Little Band of Gold mm-hmm. for this reason. Uh, the Little Band of Gold is a Louisiana swamp pop uh, band. And when you think about the history of America and all of the pain and all of the glory uh, and all of the good and all of the bad that gets boiled down into the story of what America is. Louisiana is like ground zero for all of that struggle and all of that beauty mm-hmm. all at the same time. And, uh, you know, a band like Little Band of Gold exemplifies all of the great and all of the trouble mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Little Band of Gold. I'll, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that one down. It's a good one. They only have one record, but it's easily available on the streaming services. So I guess my last question for you, because we've already got to all the things I wanted to get to. Excellent. Is your your three albums into Tender Things? Yep. You mentioned to me that you're you're you are playing bass this weekend for Rosie Flores. Oh yeah, right. Talk about like being lucky to get inserted into the folk tradition of, of the music from around here. She's, you know, Rosie yeah. is an American treasure. She's awesome. Yeah. I. Uh, I I didn't know who she was uh, until <clears throat> I walked into my uh, Sims Foundation approved therapist's office oh. and saw this concert or saw a concert poster from the Continental Club from sometime in the 90s. Nice. And I would just stare at it while I would, you know, lament about my life. And finally, at one point, I was like, 
is this real? I was like, or did you get this from like a urban outfitters? And he looked at me like I said the most offensive thing ever. And he oh was my like, God. it's real. I took it off the wall at the continental club when I was your age. Killer. Was like, yeah. A killer. <laughs> Very fucking cool. But you know, you mentioned to me that you're, you, you might be trying not to play bass in another band. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what, what else is on deck for you creatively? Well, I did just apply for the City of Austin grant mm-hmm. for music creators. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sitting on a pile of songs that I can't seem to get past without recording them. So in the interest of getting past the songs that I have written and haven't done anything with yet, I need to start recording again. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully that grant will come through. Yeah. Um, I did make the a similar argument in my grant proposal um, that I spoke about a little bit here, just, you know, trying to hold on to a little bit of the story of what Austin is as it changes at breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. We all need to talk about the parts of this town that we think are the most important pieces. And it's my job to talk about the piece that I think is important. Um, not necessarily the most important piece. I would call everyone who's been around who has a piece of Austin that they love to engage and talk about it and bring the past forward into what your town is becoming. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So that's what the next Tender Things album will be. And uh, and I'm just doing my best to... If I can put a little good art out into the arts community in Austin, hopefully it'll keep a few more musicians here a little bit longer. That theme song you heard at the top was written and recorded by me and Zach. It was engineered and mixed by Adam Mason, and it features Topaz McGarrickle on sax. If you like this podcast, the best thing you can do is send an episode to someone who you think will like it. You can even send it to someone who you hate, but you know that they will appreciate this podcast. Honestly, that would probably be, well, besides kind of you, it would show a lot of personal growth, and I think you should do it. Second to that, you can subscribe to the show on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow the Song Confessional Artist page wherever you listen to music and stay up to date. 